Today's podcast is The Power of Shame. Welcome to the Hope, Healing, and Freedom podcast, brought to you by Restoring the Foundations International. Our desire is to equip you with biblical truth to empower you to live a full life of freedom in Christ. For more, please visit restoringthefoundations.org. Now, here's your podcast. Do you or someone you know apologize about everything? I'm sorry are the most common words out of their mouth. Or do they say things that make you feel like they're saying, oh, please excuse my existence? How about someone who always plays the victim? They feel powerless, so they blame everything on someone or something else. It's not my fault because, or the person who feels like they always have to be perfect. How about someone who's often jealous of others' achievements? They live from a perspective that there's only so much to go around, and if you succeed, then that means there's less for me. Or the person who avoids conflict at all cost. Where do you want to go eat? Oh, I don't care. Then let's go eat liver and onions. Oh, that would be fine. That is, unless you actually like liver and onions. These are all signs of someone who's living from shame. In this podcast, I want to try and outline and define what shame is and how it operates in our lives. In the next podcast, we'll talk about how we can overcome the effects of shame. Our key verse for today is Isaiah 61.7. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor, and instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double, everlasting joy shall be theirs. The thing we all need to understand is that every one of us is affected by shame, since shame was birthed in the Garden of Eden. Chester Kilstra says that shame is the feeling of being uniquely and fatally flawed. This is a great definition because if what I feel is unique, then I don't dare talk about it with others because they'll think something's wrong with me and reject me. People living in shame think they're the only ones who struggle with shame, so they feel they need to hide so much of their lives from others. Secrecy is the breeding ground that causes this sense of shame to grow stronger. Another part of Chester's definition is that the feeling of shame is fatal. In other words, we can never get rid of it. It's something we take with us to the grave. Dr. Brene Brown is a secular researcher who did a study to determine the number one need people have in life. She determined that the number one human need is connection, to know and to be known in this life. The next step in her research was to determine What keeps people from their number one need of connecting? She determined that in order to connect, people need to let themselves be vulnerable. And the number one thing that keeps people from being vulnerable is shame. Dr. Brown's research proved that connecting is the deepest desire of the human heart. Vulnerability is necessary in order to connect. Shame keeps people from being vulnerable. Shame causes people to be afraid of being vulnerable because others might reject them. This fear leads them to try and control relationships so they keep from experiencing shame. Dr. Brown discovered what the Bible describes in Genesis 3 about the relationship between shame, fear, and control using a totally secular research study. Shame leads to fear. Fear leads to control. Shame entered the world in the Garden of Eden. As we know, 
Adam and Eve were given the entire garden to tend and enjoy the fruit of every tree except for two. In the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2, 1 through 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, we know the rest of the story that they were tempted by the serpent, they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and immediately shame entered the world. In Genesis 3, 8 through 10, it goes on to describe the results of their sin. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now, before they ate the fruit, the Bible says that they were naked and unashamed. You can see that in Genesis 2.25. After they ate the fruit, they recognized for the first time that something was wrong with them. They discovered that they were physically naked. Now, they'd been physically naked from the time God created them and placed them in the garden, yet they had no shame about it. But once shame entered their lives, they discovered that they were naked and they were ashamed of it. The shame they experienced didn't just point out that they were physically naked. The shame pointed out for the first time that there was something wrong with them. You and I live in a shame-based world. Shame is the invention of Satan. God never intended for us to have to struggle with shame. Shame is much different than guilt. Guilt says that what you did was bad or wrong. Shame says that you are bad or wrong for what you have done. Shame puts a label or identity on you. Shame identifies you by your past behaviors. As Chester points out, shame tells you that you're uniquely and fatally flawed. The shame we experience comes with many different messages. These narratives, shame narratives, don't come to you as statements spoken from the outside like, you're bad. Shame speaks in the first person singular by saying, I'm bad. So what are some of those shame narratives? They're things like, I'm bad, I'm a burden, I'm defective, I'm a failure, I'm a loser, I'm stupid, I'm unlovable, I'm weak, I'm worthless. Those are just to name a few. You can go on and on with the list. And Dr. Brown, in her more of a research study, determined that shame has basically two main messages. The first message is, you're never good enough. You ever hear that one? The second shame message is, who do you think you are? Why do you think you could do something great? Wow. So let's talk about each of those messages because they affect each one of us in differing ways. The first message tells us that we're never good enough. We live in a shame-based world where your identity is determined by your performance. If you're successful in your performance, it's still not a lasting success that can carry you into the future. Your performance has to be maintained in order for you to maintain your identity. You know, it's not unusual to see athletes or actors who are past their prime and can no longer perform as they once had struggle in life. Their performance gave them an identity that was recognized and applauded. Now that they can no longer perform as they once did, they lose their status and recognition, and many don't know who they are any longer. 
We can always find people who perform better than we do when we judge ourselves by our behavior. We're led to believe that if we try harder and work harder and perform better, then that will make this sense of shame go away. Now, the opposite is true. It's not our performance that's a problem. It's the fact that we're living from the wrong standard for identity. God says that identity is not found in our performance, but by our birth as a child of God. Our identity is as a son or daughter of Father God. Our behavior, then, does not change our identity. In fact, when we live from our true identity, our behavior is governed by that identity. The second shame narrative Dr. Brown says that plagues the human race is this message of, who do you think you are? Why do you think you can do something great? When this message is at work, it causes people to remain small and not take risks. Who are the people who do great things in the kingdom of God? It is those who are willing to risk failing. When you reach out to pray for the sick, you risk that they might not be healed. But you also have the opportunity to see God do a miracle through your prayer. This shame narrative would tell you not to even risk praying because your prayers might appear to have failed if the person doesn't get healed. Shame keeps you afraid to fail, which makes you afraid to try new things. There's a great quote from Theodore Roosevelt from his speech known as The Man in the Arena. The quote says, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. When he is in the arena, at best he wins, at worst he loses, but when he fails to win, when he loses, he does so daring greatly. What an awesome quote that it's about trying. It's about putting yourself out there and not being afraid to fail. And the biggest critic that we need to overcome is ourselves. We replay all the negative messages we have heard from others, plus the negative messages we've spoken to ourselves. Unfortunately, most of our self-talk tends to be negative. In times of stress or crisis, we seldom tell ourselves what God says about us. Normally, we tell ourselves the messages floating around in our head that come directly from shame. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not capable. I can't do anything great. The enemy is very able to cater shame specifically for you. The shame narratives you receive are different from other people's shame narratives. Since we hide our shame and don't talk about it, we believe that our shame is so horrible that we don't dare share it with anyone else. Yet if we're honest with ourselves and with others, our shame may say different things to us because of the design of the enemy, but it speaks similar messages to all of us. It tries to say, there's something wrong with you. You are uniquely and fatally flawed. Therefore, you don't dare try to do anything great in this life. In the next podcast, we're going to talk about the roles and messages shame plays in our life, and then talk about how to break free from shame. So, Father, I just thank you that we don't have to live with shame, that shame is not from you, that shame is an invention of the enemy to get us to shrink back, to keep us from reaching out, to keep us from daring greatly, as Roosevelt said. So, Father, I pray that you would use this uh, message today 
to begin and continue to reveal places of shame in us. I know, Lord, as I went through this and and prepared to teach, I'm even recognizing things that go on in my own mind that are still so shame-based, Lord. I don't want them there. So help us deal with them. Help us break the power of shame and walk in the truth of who you say we are. Because when we listen to you and know what you say, life changes. So I just bless again each one that's listening today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us on the Hope, Healing, and Freedom podcast today. We pray you are blessed and equipped with biblical truth, empowering you to live a full life of freedom in Christ. To learn more about the ministry of Restoring the Foundations International, please visit restoringthefoundations.org. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.